What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube and not subscribed to the podcast, make sure and hit the subscribe button, like, and comment. It definitely helps us reach diesel truck owners that are looking for answers to questions, solutions to problems that they have, or just interested in diesel topics, whether we're talking about Cummins, Duramax, Power Stroke, emissions um, you know, issues or things that are going on, or just industry news. It definitely helps us a lot. We want to thank those of you that have subscribed and uh, you know give us suggestions for episodes episodes, guests, things like that in the comments goes a long way to help. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Aaron Nick. And if you've been a 6.7 Cummins fan for a long time, you've definitely heard of him. He had the first 6.7 that got into the 10s back in 2011 or 2012. And I've, I've known him for quite a long time. He helped me on, on my truck answering questions way back in the day. And I wanted to catch up with him, ask him what he's been up to. And he's got some really cool things that he's working on with his company and with really being able to help people. So I wanted to have him on today, catch up, chat about that stuff. Before we get to it, I want to remind you guys that our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a discount code for you if you're in the market for a knife for EDC, hunting, fishing, at the job site around the house. If you use code DIESEL20 at kershaw.kiausa.com, you get 20% off site-wide. And there's so many different choices for you, no matter what budget you have. Or if you're a knife enthusiast and looking for a particular type of blade steel or opening mechanism, it's got a lot of cool stuff. So make sure if you're in the market to take advantage of it. All right, let's get to today's podcast with Aaron Nick talking about his old truck and what he's been up to. Aaron, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. We've known each other for, gosh, more than a decade. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's really interesting how, you know, friendships and getting to know people, it starts with a truck and, you know, sometimes racing, sometimes you know, a platform. So I know some of the, uh, the OGs in diesel performance are going to know who you are, but I, I'm, I really look forward to introducing you to our audience, chatting with you about diesel stuff, and then also some really big topics that are helpful across a bunch of different industries. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a has-been. <laughs> well, yeah, people are going to know from the title of this episode that we're going to be chatting about a 6-7 Cummins. And I want to go back to that time because I've, I've talked about it a bit on the podcast. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth, but, um, you know, I got into diesels, gosh, probably 2006 or seven. And, you know, however things lined up, you know, I had the money, had the credit, was young, wanted a diesel truck. I go to a, I go to a, a Dodge dealer and they got a few leftover 0759s on the lot and then a whole bunch of six sevens. And I'm like, well, bigger's better. I'm going to get myself a six seven. So I, I do that. And then I learned that I should have probably bought the five nine. But I remember at that time being on Cummins forum and even YouTube, and you had this red six, seven and the industry was totally different then. So I wanted to ask you about you know, your journey with that truck. That I think it was a race in Florida where they had, you know, this big payout and the way you did it was so unique because it, it wasn't like you were a sponsored racer or you worked for this huge diesel shop and it was a marketing build or something like that. Like you did this, you know, with help from people that you trusted, um, but you really did it yourself. So I wanted you to tell us about your story and your background with that truck. Uh, well, I mean, that was my first diesel truck. As a matter of fact, it was the first brand new truck that I bought. Uh, and I found it in 08. It was on a lot. Had been there for a year and a half. And uh, I wanted a diesel. I wanted to pull goosenecks. And a buddy of mine was building. He wanted to build a race diesel truck. And I made fun of him and thought it was you know, hokey, like whatever. 
So uh, this guy's working on it and I went to a track with the truck. I think I had gotten the first Smarty programmer and I had head studs and I went to a track in North Georgia and I was out there and there was an exact replica of my truck, but an automatic and I had a G56 and I went like a hundredth faster than the guy, like 9.10 and an eighth. He went 9.11 and they're like, holy crap, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, this is awesome. It's kind of like, I guess I've never done heroin, but if you actually put the needle in, that's what it would feel like. So um, I just went from there and I made really good friends with a, a shop in North Georgia with Ashley Black. Got to be almost family with those those guys and um, decided I wanted, you know, I decided I wanted to put an automatic in it. So we were going to put a, I uh, made a, met Dave Guerin, a shop in Iowa, and he was going to help me put a 47 RH transmission with my electronic transfer case and four transmissions and a thousand miles later, I decided to go away from that. So we went to a full billet PCS unit from Suncoast. I uh, went to my first race at um, TS in 2010. And uh, first pass off the trailer, it goes 13-3, I think, bouncing the rev limiter all the way down the track. <laughs> and uh, Ron with Suncoast was there. He helped me, you know, show me a few things. And before I knew it, I was in the finals um, and lost because I went 12.98. I'm sorry, 11.98. And 12 second index and i was hooked um, <laughs> from there on it got fully ported head uh fuel system i mean yeah it, it went ryan milliken will appreciate the moonshine we drank <laughs> trying to find my fuel late the night before ts uh, i had a lot of those guys made some amazing friends that i still talk to and uh i love it I remember back then you were like a folk hero because like I said it was totally different. So yeah, the six sevens were out and at that time people said they sucked. They couldn't do anything. You had the six fours that would go make, you know, six hundred horse with a tune and the Duramax stuff had kind of carried over where they still had a lot of the aftermarket support. And so we'd get on Cummins Forum, a bunch of people, and we'd see, oh, man, he's running 11s. Oh, man, he did a, a 47 swap. Oh, he's doing this. He's doing that. And it was it was really inspiring to see. And I know it spawned a whole – I mean, I'm not sure if you started the four-speed swap or or not, oh. but I remember that got really popular after that. There would be some – there would be some heated conversations on Cummins Forum. You can probably go back where people would tell me that I should have bought a 5.9 It'll never be this fast. Uh, P pump it. Um, I mean, you know, it'll never spool a turbo. It'll never spool a 478. Um, a lot of things. And I just, you know, I put compounds on it. I put dual CP3s. And the setup that I ran that went, I think it went 1098 or maybe 1088 with a 66 millimeter turbo. Um, that was a single CP3, single turbo, 66 millimeter inlet with a ported head. And I mean, I started pulling sheet metal off of it by the time I finished that race. Like it looked like the Clampets <laughs> 125 grand. Um, and people kept telling me things that it wouldn't do, but I could go the opposite direction and do it. 
what was the stock bottom end at the time with what everyone calls, you know, a lot of people have told me that Smarties jump. I have a different opinion. I've met those guys. I, I think a lot of them. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I did what I thought would work and it worked. So I have no complaints. That's what was cool about following it, you know, at that time. And I think what uh, really brought in a lot of, a lot of people that were into the performance side of it. I know most people will tow and haul and, you know, they're using it for, for work and stuff like that, but there's always that segment of any, any part of automotive that is really into performance. And it was so, I don't want to say simple, but the approach you took to it was when, you know, there's so many options for, you know, compound turbos, different setups with the CP3, all this complexity and your setup was just simple and consistent. And I know it inspired a lot of people to buy those trucks and, and, and to do stuff with them. And that's, that's how we got to know each other. You know, way back then, I think I reached out to you and I had a question. I don't remember if it was about the transmission or the turbo or something, but I was like, Hey, uh, I got this question about it. And you know, you were very open with the information and, and wanting to, to share it and talk about it. And that's, that's, uh, that was something that was really key for me as far as along the performance enthusiast aspect was, you know, somebody that I would see, you know, winning this big race or see on YouTube or all these different things. You take the time to say, Hey, I'll answer your question or you should try this or this turbo will probably work best for you or, you know, try this with, with the smarty, whatever it might've been that helped a lot. Yeah. I think, I think there's something to be said for, genuine honesty and not having any skin in the game other than just being a nice person um because i want to draw I, I still like the sport even though i think it's going away um i think the best way to to bring more people in is to just give as much free information as you can and share um be willing to help you know i mean that race at ts the guy that i you know, ultimately in the semifinals, a guy named Scotty Bradshaw was driving a truck for Swamps Diesel. Uh, my alternator burn up, and I, you know, my truck was dying in staging lanes, waiting to go up. So that dude let me hook up jumper cables to his truck while we're sitting in the staging lanes, just so that I would have enough power to get on the track. And I, you know, I put the guy on the trailer. He didn't want to lose because. Or he didn't want to win because I couldn't show up. He wanted to win because he was a better driver and he had a better truck. Um, and I really like that. But then a few months down the road, we get a shy. We're uh, in the finals together. And, you know, we're really running. We could have ran. We were in 770 index. We could have ran 750s each. And I was like, hey, man, you know, let's, let's just run all out and, like, see what we got and say, oh yeah yeah so get ready to race turns out those fours have better brakes and dodges <laughs> so i lost because i went too fast i'm still salty about that one <laughs> what uh it was really cool over the years in, in in chatting with you is um outside of diesel is what i would say and talking about you know the different careers that we have and the different paths and kind of our philosophy on how we spend the majority of our time on the majority of our week. Um, we're spending it away from our families and friends and our hobbies and our racing and things like that. And so we were chatting about doing this episode today. There's 
you know, something that you wanted to chat with us about, I'm looking forward to learning more about because it's a common theme that I'm hearing from tons of different companies and not just in automotive as well. And that's with the younger generation and what sort of career paths do they have and what are some great careers they can get into that may not necessarily be what our teachers, even our parents, our friends, our peers tell us we need to do. And so I wanted to ask you about that specifically, you know, with what you're doing now, <clears throat> your thoughts on things that young people can do to have a rewarding career path, which is really important. I think it is when you feel rewarded at work, rewarded what you're doing, you're happier than when, and I've been there, I've been on the opposite end, sitting at a desk in a cubicle, miserable, and it didn't matter what I got paid to do it. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing for me is work-life balance. And I'll even go back to that truck. When I built that truck, you know, my wife called that thing my mistress because of the amount of time I spent with it, working on it, trial and error, failing, um, those kind of things. But the real story is the balance for young people um, coming into the industry that I'm in. I'm a heavy equipment operator by trade. Uh, my grandfather worked for John Deere in the in the early 80s. He was a field follow mechanic on the, the 750 bulldozers when they first came out. So I sat in his lap and that was when I knew. So skipping forward now, 40 years later, um, I work for a company here in Georgia and they're a site development company, but they've seen like everyone sees like right now, you know, there's some past out of high school that if you're not going to school, there isn't a whole lot out there. You can go to a vocational school, you can get a welding, um, you know, certificate, you can do certain things. Um, however, this industry site development, heavy equipment, um, there, that's a huge trade. I mean, there's a lot to be learned from that and there can be a path, but there's also, you know, getting a guy that's 60 years old and has been in construction his whole life to talk to an 18 year old kid that understands what TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat is, there's a huge gap. And we're starting to, to look at uh, simulators, um, going to schools, talking to schools, introducing this trade to kids, to a younger generation, really to anyone that wants to learn this trade. It took me my whole life to get here. And it's a good living. It's, you know, it's not, I'm not gonna be a millionaire, but I go home every night to my wife and kid. I get to see him, my kid's 19 now. So when he was growing up, I spent a lot of time away from home. And um, I think that's a good lesson for kids. Like, hey, you know, like, if you're going to go and start doing adult stuff, we need to start teaching them how to be adults. Um, I think, you know, there's a whole world outside that we're not communicating with that we need to start showing a path and a path to a better life and to a balance. So, yeah. yeah there's a lot of, um, when I think of the younger generation, I see so much potential in it because you think about when you and I grew up, what kind of toys were we playing with? You know, they were real basic and stuff. And, you know, I 
kind of remember a typewriter. I mean, I was a little too young for it, but it's like now, you know, kids have iPhones and tablets and they know how to search the internet. They know how to do all these things that we didn't learn until we were older. And I think about how that, that kind of knowledge that is just given for them translates into so many productive things they can do. And I think maybe I was, I think back to being 17, 18, even 16, everyone told me, you have to go to college. You need to go get a four-year degree. You have to do it. And I got in this position where my parents didn't make enough to like bankroll it or to send me to it. And I didn't know what to do. And I made it work somehow. Well, I mean, I worked a lot during school to do it, but I remember through that process, I hated it. I hated every second I was there because I felt like I was wasting my time to learn something that I didn't know. I didn't want to really do it, but I was just kind of, I don't want to say forced, but that was the expectation of me was to do it. And it changed the course of my early life and what I did and how much time I felt I truly wasted um, sitting there for four years. I guess I would give you the question is how much of what you learned getting your degree do you still use to this day? There's only one thing. Um, Well, I wouldn't even say 99% of it I didn't use. It it, it was completely worthless really quickly. I mean, maybe some of the writing stuff. Um, Other than that, I kind of learned the process of what's like i would go sit in these auditoriums with like 200 kids there's no personal attention there's no anything the professor wrote the textbook um you know the questions he's going to ask you on the test you could literally show up the day before the test for whatever the review was get an a in that class so it just taught me wow this isn't set up for me to succeed um there's no personal attention to it but i don't use really anything from that time that's where i'm headed with it is it like you know teaching a kid like how many kids in high school get taught personal finance how many kids in high school really get taught how money circulates and how that works they don't even get taught how to balance a checkbook or at least my son hasn't anyway but um you know what are we teaching these people um i just i I think that teaching a kid when they're really impressionable and formidable take a kid that's 16 to 18 and start to show them hey you know like this gps system on this bulldozer has touch screen it'll tell you within a you know within a a golf ball elevation wise uh, a centimeter and a half accuracy and even tighter accuracy horizontally um how you take care of a machine and the kid might grow up on a farm so he knows how to check the oil maintain the machine properly um, all those things, like, you know, it, it sounds terrible, like, when you're sitting around at the dinner table and little Billy doesn't want to go to college to get a, a degree in literature, but, you know, Aaron Nick here from Southwest Mississippi, I like to read books, too. I've read Gulag Archipelago. I've read Moby Dick, like, Where the Red Fern Grows. Like, I'm not totally unintelligent, like, um, those skills, life will find a way of humbling you and teaching you what you should respect. Um, you shouldn't be in a hurry for that. But the things that I, you know, that I learned, like we can relate this back to my truck is 
building relationships and talking to people. And, you know, when you got a problem at 10 o'clock at night, you need somebody to talk to. And that person picks, you know, answers the phone and talks to you and helps you through it. Same thing goes for now. Like, there's plenty of stuff that in this industry I need help doing. And I can pick up the phone and I can call somebody on the other side of the country and they knew who I am. They're going to try to help me. I think, you know, we can, we can really help the youth and the younger generation. I think that uh, there's a lot of kids in America and you know, in our day now that aren't getting shown that for whatever reason they're in single family households. Um, they need that. Girls and boys, everyone. And I just see a higher purpose in what's going on right now. I think that uh, that idea of also belonging and, and being I'm not sure what the right word for it is. But when you're, well, when you're part of a group, you know, and you know, you play a part in it and you're part of the success of it and you're going to have failures with it as well. Then you have purpose. And then when you have purpose, it can be anything. Like sometimes I think sports are probably the easiest thing to visualize. You know, you can visualize a sports team, football team, basketball, and you see it. But that same sort of lesson also applies to your career and your job and, and the things that you do. So when I think of like the most rewarding things I've ever experienced, it's not the number of views on a podcast or um, anything like that. It's usually internal with like, Hey guys, we just did this, or we just hit, you know, this many subs or it's, it, it's much more of, of a, it's a team atmosphere. It's being able to enjoy success with the people around you that you, that you want to see you successful, that, that you want to make them successful too and enjoying like, you know, I go back to my grandfather again, but he always told me if I find something that I love and I, and I really try to, you know, to be good at it, I'll never work a day in my life. Now, you know, <laughs> I was a kid. I've had some really terrible leaders and I've had some really great leaders, but I've learned from all of them. And, um, you know, I'm trying to shape my dad used to say, uh, say what you mean and mean what you say was another good one. Um, I'm really trying to live the way that I said, um, like we, uh, one of our things that we do in my, one of my one day training classes is, um, I have a goal sheet. I do a one, three to five and a 10 year goal. And, um, in the morning when everyone sits down, they write their name and a date, and I just tell them to push that piece of paper to the side, and let's just wait a second. We'll go through the class. I'll go through a standard operating procedure of day-to-day -day on a pipe crew or grading crew or a boring crew. I'll go through um, what you do for utility strikes. I'll go through equipment walk-arounds. I'll go through – and all these, I, I want interaction. I want people to talk about their experiences and how they can relate to what we do. So at the end, the end of the day, the last thing I do for the last 30 minutes is I want their one, three to five and 10 year goals. I don't want the same goal twice. I don't want a goal that says to make more money. I don't want a goal that's like, you know, I want it to be original. I want something like, uh, be a better father, to have a family, to buy my own house, um, 
to be a leader, to want to share my knowledge. I want stuff like that. And then um, my goal that I have for everyone else back is uh, you know, I want to be here in a year with the rest of you. I want to retain you three to five years. I want to give you a younger generation of what we have right now. And I want you to help them be better. And in 10 years, I want to triple the size of this company. And those are attainable goals. But if I don't reach my goals, it's no one else's fault but my own. Those are my goals. I can't hold my boss accountable. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my kid. I need to reach those goals. Um, and that's a living, breathing piece of paper. It can change from day to day. Um, but I need to have those goals and I need to have a purpose. How hard am I willing to work for that? And, you know, with that being said, I have to share with my family, with my wife. Um, she deserves more credit than me. We've been married up. This year will be 20 years. So pretty Congrats. lucky. <laughs> but, awesome. um, yeah, you know, those goals, like, all this that I'm talking about, like 10 years ago, I don't know that I could talk like this. Yeah. I think that I've developed this opinion and I'm trying to, to, to grow into what I think I should be. Do you think that having progressed through your career, say 20 years ago or 15 years ago, if you had talked like this, do you think it would have been receptive? Or do you think that generationally now, my opinion is that I think younger people want to be inspired. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for a connection more so than when I was younger. And so I think that's really important to be able to give them. And I think build those leaders and those people that you talked about was just being more open with this stuff. So one of my theories on that, I've thought about that a lot. Um, I think the first two emotions that we're taught as humans and as people is um the first one's fear you know you're born you're a baby you don't know where you're at you're afraid uh somebody's smacking you on the butt gets you to breathe whatever you're a baby you're terrified and then as you begin to get to know your parent or, or whoever's taking care of you you love them but the next real emotion you feel is rage got to get mad to get up and crawl and then you got to be just mad or have rage to want to walk and not care about falling it takes something to get you further going and so i think you're seeing some of those emotions right now in general population because when i was 10 15 years ago and i was trying to make a name for myself i had a whole lot of ego whole lot of ego and now i'm settling in and i'm trying to do it from a point of humility and uh you know i, I like mike tyson's podcast really good and one of his uh one of his quotes is all love baby so um things like that like you know you you're one of the first podcasts that i've ever watched and there's some others out there that um I don't listen to music anymore. Driving down the road is I, I try to find people that are like-minded that I tend to agree with or know personally. 
and get still get to know them. I like the open forum discussion because uh, if you see something that I'm saying and you don't agree with it or you think I'm incorrect in my assumptions, you can call BS right then and be like, hey man, wait, say that more plainly. And you can call me on my crap. And if it's edited, you can make it sound like whatever you want. I, I think there's someone else out there that says the only thing that will combat disinformation is more good information and more correct information. And we just have to be, you know, just to stand up for what we believe in and prove what we know is right. And it'll work out. I hope. That's, one of that's the, my goal. Anyway. <laughs> one of the, the biggest things I was thinking about this the other day is growing up, you know, movies were huge. You'd go to the movie theater or you'd rent movies or whatever it might be, get DVDs. And I find now I, I struggle watching movies because I'm like, this is only an hour and a half. This is only two hours. I, I want to watch this series completely develop the character over 10 episodes or 10 years or five years. And that's just entertainment. But I think with people, it's also speaking to a, a change that's happened, um, which I think the younger generation is really in tune with is they don't want, like you think of a sitcom 30 minutes. It's like, that was so cool in the nineties or early two thousands, but who watches them now? Yeah. It, it, um, it was commercialized. Uh, I think that, and this would be a different subject, but I think, um, there's a whole, whole, whole lot of advertising for pharmaceuticals. I think I saw a statistic somewhere that said 75% of all advertising on television came from pharmaceutical companies. And the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow that type of advertising. And New Zealand is very restrictive on theirs. So, um, you know, from a sponsorship standpoint, if I, if I was brought to you by Pfizer, don't you think they would have an interest, a financial interest for me? to speak highly of the way a pharmaceutical, you know, what, what it was for, what it was good for. And they definitely don't give you enough time to read all the small print. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's by design. So I'm not very trusting of a lot of what I see on, I guess, television period. Um, the best person I can relate with is uh, Maverick. When I'm cranking my machine up, I'm starting to bring everything online. The only thing I'm having different with him is uh, maybe I'm not taking off from an aircraft carrier. But um, yeah, I mean that I can relate back to that and like um, music. You know, if I were in a in a piece of equipment and you would get me like some uh, Stone Temple Pilots or uh, Lincoln Park things like that, like that, that was, that was when it was fun, when it was really, really fun. And um, now I'm just in a different place. Uh, life has humbled me to this point, I guess. I think what's really cool, like about what we're talking about now, but how it applies to like what you're doing, um, you know, with your career, or we had Shell on talking about the same thing, or a lot of other guests that I've had, is taking that and investing it into 
finding people, creating a program, developing employees, giving them a path, which is so different. Like if I think way back, I don't even know how long it was like, I want to get involved in this industry. I fill out an application. I wait for a call. I get the call. You go interview, you know, they give you the new hire packet, you know, your starting wage and then you're just there. And I don't think that works anymore. So it's really cool. And it gets me really interested to hear like what you're doing, where it's about kind of involving and going more in depth with now your career. It's not just what TV show you watch or what series or what the lyrics are to music. It's about what you're going to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week doing for 40, 50 years. And I think that's really the key because it's also important, whether it's what you do, whether it's automotive, whether it's oil, energy, natural gas, all these industries, they're not going away. Like our population's growing, our needs growing, the services we need are growing, the infrastructure has to grow. So it's incredibly important to, whether you're in Georgia, Colorado, any of the 50 states, anywhere, it's, it's just so crucial. Well, even beyond that, um, I think it would be really cool if you were an operator in Colorado and you moved to Georgia and you wanted a job. And because I knew you from the company you worked for and I knew their standards and they matched up with mine because we were collaborating on how we were training people. Um, if I knew you come from that scale, you're a direct fit. And it goes vice versa with Georgia back and forth. And like more people show, like, I think the industry itself did a really good job of hiding. And when you hide, you allow former employees, competitors, you like allow other people to control what the information people have on you. So they've been really good at that for the last 20, 25 years. And like, now here we are, and we got to get out there and show and talk about who we are, what we do. Um, let's talk about it. What works good for me might not work good for you, but there's got to be somewhere in the middle that two companies can do, get together and grow people. There has to be. It, it hasn't, like, government education has not done it thus far. Someone is an industry standard. We have to get in there and do it. And so, you know, there's a few grading companies that I've talked to around the country um, we're beginning to bring together what works for them, what works for me, how we do those things and how we can start to grow the people. And when, you know, the real measurable things that I see that I can look at from my role as a trainer and as a leader, um, you know, retention, employee retention, uh, equipment, how long it lasts the maintenance, how, how much you have to work on it. Um, if we don't have to work on our equipment as much and I don't have to go through the new hire process so much, I, you know, as a company, we can go buy newer equipment, nicer equipment. We can train our employees that, that we retain on more, you know, we can start to take a deep dive on GNSS, satellite machine control. We can start looking into semi-autonomous equipment. You know, the sky's the limit. And, at some level, I'm, you know, I'm, whenever someone gives you something like that, no one can ever take it away. And the only thing that you and I trade on that we'll never get back is our time. So 
we need to use it wisely and give away some good skills that people are going to take and be able to do something with. Um, that that's where I that's where I'm headed uh, with what we're doing. Um, we're also in the, like we just uh, we just purchased three simulators. Uh, they're caterpillar simulators. Um, we have an excavator, a wheel loader, a dump truck, and a track type tractor, bulldozer. Um, you know, a walk around on an excavator is fifty eight points. Uh, a haul truck is 162 points. A wheel loader is 101 points. A bulldozer is uh, 88 points. And so if I can take an operator and start to show him why the way he's running it is tearing that machine up and he understands it, hopefully he will understand it and care not to want to tear it up so that I can get him a brand new bulldozer next year. Um, or trainer's replacement, you know, hey, you don't want to be a bulldozer operator the rest of your life. You want to load, you want to be an excavator operator. Well, cool. How are you going to get out of that bulldozer? You can't just quit and go to an excavator. So train your replacement and train them right. Um, those kind of things. I think those are huge points to make. When you were you were mentioning that, I thought of a few different things. One of one of them was, I think, and I'm just guessing because it, I don't hire and train a lot of people. <laughs> is one of the hardest things I imagine is probably trying to find the right fit. And I think a lot of places, I don't want to say waste, but they spend a lot of time going through. Is this a right fit? And it's probably incredibly hard if there's no standard or well, I guess industry standard of, you know, do they know these things? You know, will it work? How quickly can they jump in? So I thought that was incredibly important. And then two is the path. Like say somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, I want to be a project manager, superintendent. I'm not sure what you guys call them, but somebody that's organizing a project. Yeah. Something like that, where you could lay out a path for them and say, okay, well to do that, you're going to need to know, how this operator thinks, how they operate the equipment, what their stresses are, um, challenges that they have so that they can grow with it. I think that would excite somebody because it would me if I wanted to do that one day. Um, if we went back in time to when I was younger and decided I wanted to do it, is if somebody laid out a path for me and said, Patrick, okay, we're going to start you here and we want you to do this till you hit these goals. And once you hit those goals and you're at this proficiency, we're going to move you to this next thing. And here's your five-year plan or your 10-year plan to get where you want to go. I'd be like, sign me up. Yeah, we also, um, not just the past, not just what you're talking about. Um, when I was you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when I was doing this, if, uh, let's say, my kid graduated or kid graduated kindergarten, first grade, second grade, or um, let's say open house at night for school to start, and I go to my supervisor and be like, hey, you know, my kid's doing this, whatever, I like to go or let's say a baseball game or a football game on a Saturday. Hey, you know, I'd like to go and they're like, no, we have work to do. Get your ass back in the machine kid. Like you're just a dumb kid. You don't care. That kind of thing. That was the attitude that I felt at the time that I missed. I missed my kid's game. I missed my kid's graduation. I missed life with my family. 
Now my kid's 19, he's going to college, you know, he's going for cybersecurity, he doesn't care. Or I say he doesn't care, he still wants me to pay for all this stuff. But um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, he doesn't have the same gumption for this that I do. And that's fine. But um, one of the things that we're looking at now is like, look, you know, your, your kid's got something going on. You need to go take care of your family. Go see your family, go be with them. This job's going to be here uh, back on the same thing with that, that balance. Like uh, we, uh, as a company, the company that I'm at, we provide a chaplain service for everyone in the company, uh, for you, your family member or your children. You might have uh, a mother or a father on the other side of the country. It's dying, sick, whatever. It's a nationwide organization. You can call the chaplain here. They'll get in touch with one across the country or wherever you're at, and they'll go sit and pray with them. They'll go sit and be with them. Um, if your kid's having problems at school, maybe he's getting picked on, who knows, whatever, um, getting in fights, having trouble, just having trouble, period. Chaplain service, you know, they can call and talk to them. It's all anonymous. Um, it's support. But um, it's... It's just support. Now, there's two reasons that a chaplain service will begin. You know, they, they'll elevate their claim. Uh, one of those is if you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt someone else. Eh, it's still um, it's still pretty awesome. There's not a lot of companies in this industry that I know of doing things like that. So it, um, all like the classes, I think I, did I send you a couple of those videos? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm headed with that sentiment, I guess, with all of the training that we're, we're trying to offer is, um, getting people excited to be at work on day one where it's not just, you know, you show up on Monday, they get your tax paperwork filled out, fill out your benefits information. Um, and then you just go to work. Um, we're trying to manage, I guess, how people to manage expectations, you know, coming out in the field day one. And, um, we're, we're going to do, yeah, you know, we're going to continue and we're going to get better. And I know I'm going to get better. I mean, if you know me well enough to know what we did 10 years ago, we're going to get better. We're going to be the best. Do you find that in your industry <clears throat> that this is a trend that's picking up steam or is it, and if so, is it because these companies are realizing that the people are the most important asset that they have and maybe it was overlooked in the past, but now it's like with the current conditions, the marketplace, the future, I need to invest in people now and create these paths for them. They have to, there's a workforce problem. I mean, to be honest with you, there's a workforce problem across the board finding good people, people that want to show up. Um, you know, I, I've always said that 
Yeah, there's some three major, there's, there's some major wars, the war on education, the war on poverty, the war on terror. I don't really know that we, uh, I don't know that we're even close to winning any of those, to be honest with you, but um, from an industry standard, there is a work, there is a huge workforce shortage. Um, also with manufacturing supply chains right now, you know, you can't like go, go try to buy a new, uh, go try to buy a new F-450 King Ranch. Where are they at? Um, go try to buy a D6 bulldozer. Where are they at? Um, go try to buy a motor grader. Can't find one of those either for the industry. So um, if you do have one, the person who's using it needs to take the best care they can of it. And there aren't a whole lot of those people floating around right now. So, man, all you can do is try to create them and build people. Um, so, yeah, like we're kind of up against the walls in industry, to be honest with you. The industry has to change. It has to get better. What's really interesting about this is, you know, 99% of our content's about diesel trucks and something to do with a truck. But there's so many other industries in the country that are dealing with the same exact thing that I may not know um, or somebody else may not know what's what's going on. And so I think from an automotive perspective, when you hear like what you're saying, you don't feel so alone in it because sometimes just focusing on this space and trucks and what new model and why can't you get this F-250 and it's in transit, but it's pending sold like. I was looking at that early today. Like it's sold, it's not even on the lot. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting <laughs> you know? for a microchip. Um, yeah. Kentucky Motor Speedway has 15,000, but uh, yeah, we'll get it to you. Yep. Is <clears throat> it, it makes you think, okay, so we're not alone in this. How do we collectively, um, you know, try to, try to help it. And, and I think, I think what you mentioned about not being able to find some of this equipment, so having to take care of what you have, like this problem never really existed. I don't think in our adult lives, like I can't really think of ever having to be without or not being able to get something unless it was like a PS2 or PS3 the day it releases, like we could always get whatever we wanted. Well, you know, um, I don't, I don't remember it in my life. I remember early in the eighties when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have for a lot. My dad had just had cancer. Um, I think one Christmas, my grandmother sewed me some uh, some jams. I don't know if you remember those, the shorts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I remember as a kid, my parents maybe had, I don't want to say struggle, but times were hard, right? I don't think I've even heard of anything like this with manufacturing where that like, look, you can have, you can say you want to pay quadruple for a machine or a vehicle or some, or some manufacturing need, and it just doesn't exist. And the closest I can think of to that would probably be World War II, to be honest with you, when they're rationing war stamps. Um, now, from a financial standpoint, we're not that bad. We don't have, you know, things across the ocean bearing down on us, but um, from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, we're in a war. We're in a war with someone that's controlling 
what we can do and what we can't. We've given away all of our manufacturing capability. Um, and I heard someone recently, they had a saying that um, uh, hard men or hard times create hard men. Hard men create easy times. Easy times create easy men. Easy men create hard times. So I think that we're kind of getting through the easy rotation there. You can pick which one we're at. Yeah. But um, it just, it's different. You have to put some more thought into what you're doing. Um, it's just changing. It's a different environment. You know, and, and let's say, so like work's still coming. People still want their Amazon. People still want their delivery. People still want their free stuff or cheap stuff. But you got to have that infrastructure. So, you know, you got to take what you have. You got to grow what you have. And you got to be better because there isn't anything to replace it. If you tear this machine up, what are you going to replace it with? Um, so that's where I think the, the workforce problem and people are receptive to it too. I mean, people that I have coming through my classes, I think since July, I've put 70 people through and this week was our biggest, you know, this week is our biggest class. It was north of 30 people at one shot, but leading up to this week, when I go through and do my goals, every person in one of those shots, one of their goals is to learn more. They want to learn. They want to be taught. And if you want to be taught, it means that you have a thirst for knowledge. So anyone that has any kind of knowledge, like they're seeking knowledge, you know, you're more intelligent than someone has given you credit for at some point because you want to learn. And so that, that's where I think the real retention is, is, man, you know, this guy, it's like, this guy wants to know more. Well, how do we teach him? You know, what, what's the best teachers I ever had in life? They never gave me the answer, but they made me, like, they made me want to know what it was. And I go seek it out myself. So I think, I think we have a real opportunity from an industry standpoint and you know those goals at some point i'd like to start sharing those openly maybe at least the audio um i, I think some give and take back and forth about what are someone's down the road goals i think there's some value in that just from a random person one of the things that really sticks with me <clears throat> about what, what you just mentioned was necessity. And I think back to a couple different times in my life where necessity forced a change. And, and I'll relate this back to like a company, but like, you know, like growing up, I was very shy. I didn't like to really, you know, I'd have friends and stuff, but I, I wasn't outgoing. I wouldn't just go in a room and talk with people. And I had a necessity which was I wanted needed to graduate college, but my parents didn't have the money. So I had to work and I would work like the summer I'd work like almost every day. 
And this opportunity came up where I wasn't just loading up lumber and trucks and concrete. It was, Hey, do you want to go inside and sell this stuff? Like, you know, work at the contractor table or whatever. And my biggest fear was I've got to talk to a bunch of people that I don't know. And I remember being in there the first day and there's like, you know, 10 grumpy contractors in the morning that just want their material. But I had to learn how to talk through that, learn how to, um, ask questions or use the tone in my voice to like kind of ease the situation. Cause it's hot out, you know, he's busy. He's got to go back to a house and the homeowners yelling at him. And it's like, I learned, Hey, the tone that I use or the eye contact, I could kind of make the situation easier. And the second time was with this podcast, which was it's kind of that same thing. Like, I don't know if I want thousands, like thousands of people are going to listen to me. And then it's like, wait, I'm going to do video. And now people on YouTube are going to see it. But it was necessity that I had, I had a choice to make. And so I think relating that to a business side of it is if, if you don't, if you don't change or evolve, it's going to go away. It's going to fail. Just like I didn't want to load up lumber trucks my whole life. And, you know, I didn't want to do a podcast for a couple of years and then have it be archived on YouTube. So how do I change due to necessity? Yeah. You mean just like a Blackberry stay with their rollerball instead of a touchscreen. Yep. Um, and I think I told you you're crazy. Whenever you started talking about a podcast, I was like, man, what's that? What are you talking about? I don't, I don't want to be around long. Um, but you know, you, you stuck to it. You did your thing. Um, I had plenty of people tell me I was crazy. Um, but, you know, somehow I found a way, somehow you found a way, um, we've evolved, we've grown up. I think we both have hair on our face now. Um, Mine's a little more gray than yours is. Yeah, mine, yeah, I got some, I don't know if the camera's picking it up very well, but, um, it's there. Um, but yeah, man, you know, we just, we came a long way, you know, you and your own right you're an influencer and me and my own right, I became an influencer and I'm becoming an influencer uh, and what I do. And I just think, um, you know, where do I want to quit? I mean, that was the whole thing, like going back, talking about my truck. It was like, I just knew I was driven and I had a purpose. Like that was like, I didn't care if I worked till four o'clock in the morning, I had to get up at six. I didn't care what it took. And it was fun. Honestly, when I would fail, when I would tear something up, when I'd break a transmission or drive shaft or, you know, pull a line or do whatever I would do, it was fun. It was like, Oh, cool. I found out where the weak link is. Let me go make it better. And that's the way I'm looking at this is like, whenever I find, and I'm doing, I'm trying to, to build this industry, build this company and make it better. And I find something I'm like, oh, hmm, that kind of doesn't really work. How, what do we, what's a better way? And then we go back and do it. And, you know, the, the company that I work for, the owner, the company's been around since 1948. Um, I think. I don't want to put exact words in his mouth, but it was like, I have full attitude to make this industry and this company as good as I can. Well, you know, that's pretty much anyone's dream. So 
I'm walking around in this office and people are asking me, you know, hey, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm living the dream. Every day I'm living the dream. Um, and I'm not lying. So that's the way that I think that as you start to teach people in this industry and they start to see that, they can live that dream too, or a dream at least. I think that's the, when I think of the worst, <clears throat> the worst failure that I could have would be to not pass on in whatever capacity I'm able to do it, pass on what I've learned. If I can save somebody time, and I'm going to relate this back to trucks, is like when I first started in this industry, one of the things I love the most was somebody would come to me and say, what transmission do I need? What turbo do I need? What do I need to do here? And if I could save that person mistakes I made and save them money, I loved it. And I'm sure when you were at the track, somebody came up to you and said, hey, Aaron, I got the same truck. I want to do the same thing. What should I do? You say, hey, I can't tell you how to do it. I can just tell you how I did it. And this is what it's doing. There was probably a lot of reward. And I think that's how that translates back into like your career, my career, a bunch of people's careers is how do we pass on what we've learned? There's so much satisfaction in that. And I don't know. I think it's just helping people really, I guess is what it comes down to. Yeah, it's, It comes down to helping people. I mean, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, the, the best satisfaction you can have is just bringing the people around you up. It could be a total stranger. Um, it, you know, I tell people like when I go on job sites, identify yourself, you know, wave, visual contact, eye contact, make sure they see you. And I'll tell them like, look, it's not because I'm a nice guy. It's just because I want you to see me. But, you know, when you walk in a gas station, you walk in a restaurant and someone makes eye contact with you, the most simple thing you can do is say, hello, how are you doing? That's like wave at somebody when they, when you know they look at you and you wave. It's the most simple thing you can do, but it also de-escalates right from the hit. Yeah. Like what, you know, or um, if you're in a, in a conversation with someone and maybe they don't get exactly what they're saying about you 100% correct, but you're trying, again, you're trying to de-escalate. You're like, you know what, you're right. You're right. What else are they going to say? <laughs> if I tell you you're right, how can you continue to be mad at me? Um, things like that, I think, are, um, you know, but like giving away, like, like you were talking about, like helping people. That's all, I, you know, I used to love being in a track, somebody walk up, you know, exactly like you said, um, I had this truck. Uh, there, there was a few red and black trucks around the 2011, <laughs> 2012. Uh, there were, there were some red trucks with black hoods, black tailgates. Um, some look better than others, but, um, yeah, man, I, I love talking to people about that. And I really like to rub it in the five, nine guys face whenever they would come up and go, man, you know, that truck's really fast. I'm like, yeah, I know I should have got a five, nine. You're right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I like that. I like, um, competition, you know, I, I that, that truck and what I do now, my whole life, I grew up listening to my dad and my grandfather talk about cars in the 60s and hot rods, like old school hot rods. And I grew up 
every time one of those people would start talking to me about it. My grandfather worked for Oldsmobile for 30 years. He was a mechanic. Um, and I grew up my whole life listening to these stories. And so like, whenever I got my truck, I like, I wanted to do it. So like then when I got in, in heavy equipment, I just, I wanted to do it. I, like I wanted to make them proud of being the best and having that higher sense of purpose. And so now instead of building a truck or running a machine, I want to build people. That's what I want to build. So um, hopefully we'll, impact an industry and uh, you'll hear people talking about um, how much stronger our infrastructure is because of people like me. I think uh, you know, one of the, one of the takeaways, I know we're wrapping up here shortly, but one of the big things that I learned when I was younger is <clears throat> growing up, you know, my stepdad worked blue collar jobs and he, he worked hard and Gosh, I was probably five or six and he got um, on working at Coors Brewing Company. And he was always the guy who would say, hey, I'm, I'll work overtime. I'll work three weeks straight, you know, get his two weeks vacation in the summer, do his hunting trips. And I remember growing up, he would always say, I can't wait till I retire. I'm going to get this boat. I'm going to get this, this trailer. I can't wait till I retire. I can go fishing every day. I can do all this stuff. And, you know, I, I don't, know necessarily how much he enjoyed work i think he enjoyed working towards the end goal and you know unfortunately last year you know he passed and i remember seeing that time he was like a month away from retirement and i remember you know sitting there and i thought he spent all those years that i would see him work like crazy for this time and he kind of traded it and it changed my perspective in the way that i would think about things is if you're going to spend 40 50 years doing something you gotta enjoy what you're doing every day, whether that's helping people, whether that's grading, that's building something, that's making a race truck, that's fixing an engine, that's uh, being, you know, in marketing, an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever it might be, it is so crucial because you're not guaranteed that time. And so I think like what you're doing with your company and the message that you're spreading in this podcast we're recording today, I hope somebody hears, you know, the things we've talked about and they say, you know, maybe they're not in the market for a job, but maybe they hear exactly what you're talking about and say, maybe I can do this with my company maybe my real estate company, my construction company, my whatever it is, how do we do this? How do we get better? How do we invest in people and help them? So I appreciate this really open, you know, and honest conversation that started with trucks and progressed into our careers and what we want to spend the next 30 years or 40 years, however long it is we're doing it. I think it's really important. So for anyone that's out there that's listening and they're like, I, Hey, I, I'm, I'm where, Nick, where Aaron Nick is. I, I want to go and you know get a job. I want a career, or maybe they just want to chat with you about stuff. How can they get in contact with you? Ask you some questions. Maybe they want to know what it was like back in the old days with a six seven and a big single <laughs> going fast. You know? um, yeah, you can do. Uh, let's see. My email is a uh, a r o n n at strack s t r a c k inc i n c dot com, and uh, I think um, Aaron Nick. On um, yeah, Aaron Nick, A R O N N I C K on Instagram, and uh, um, let's see, uh, God, 
What's that other one? Snapchat. Yeah, Daddy Driver on Snapchat. My kid loved that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, my grandfather worked until he was 72, worked until he died. My dad worked until 2013, was on his way to work, ran off the road, broke his spine, ultimately died. And um, I hope that I get some time that they never got. And my kid does. Well, I appreciate uh, your time today and your help over the years, your friendship, um, you know, going all the way back to asking you annoying truck questions back on Cummins Forum <laughs> 10, 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah. And, Cummins uh, Forum, D, baby. Yep. But it, it's cool to see. It, it's been really cool to see where you're at, what you're doing. Um, I tell you're happy doing it. And you know, keep me updated on, on you know, what's going on in your industry, how things are progressing. Because like I said, my, my true passion is helping people and learning and understanding. So regardless of what industry it's in, I love hearing about it. So again, appreciate your time today, Aaron. Awesome, man. Thank you. Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.KIAUSA.com. Our friends over there have a discount code for you. It's 20% off with code Diesel20. And they've got a ton of different options and choices, whether you need something for EDC, hunting, fishing, around the house, job site, or you know if you're really into knives and looking for a particular type of blade steel or opening mechanism, um, or some of their limited offers, limited runs that they do. they got a lot of cool stuff. So we appreciate them offering that to our listeners. Also want to give a shout out to a couple of our Patreon supporters. Supporters, Tyler Lowen of 23 Diesel, also Caleb, all of our Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on YouTube, podcast apps, Instagram, Facebook. We love hearing from you guys, seeing what you're working on. So make sure and send us a message, tag us in your truck pictures, like, comment on, on uh, YouTube. Let us know if there's a particular guest or topic you want us to cover. We love hearing from you guys and making this podcast really your podcast. And that's the, you know, the episodes we cover, the people we have on. You guys have asked for them, and we love being able to deliver that to you. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.